0: I'm not going to preach this morning, okay? I'm going to keep, uh, I'll stick to the music. I'll let those who are gifted and anointed in the teaching do that. But I do get a chance to uh, uh, make a, a, a really great announcement that uh, I know our Missouri City campus already knows and they're watching this uh, this morning. They already heard the great news, but I want to make sure our Sugar Land campus knows as well as our Richmond-Rosenberg campus that is watching right now. But uh, a couple months ago, my good friend and our, our campus pastor at Missouri City campus Clint Smith shared with me just a transition that God was doing in his life and his family and he went on now to be uh, the executive pastor at a, a church in Northwest Houston. And when I shared that news with our pastor and he began to pray and our leadership began to talk and pray, there was one man that surfaced right up to the top that we just really believe that God at this time and this place has just uh, just anointed him for this position to be our, our next Missouri City campus pastor. And that man here today is actually gonna preach to you this morning for you. And I want you to just affirm this young man, God's call and anointings on his life. And I'm thankful for him. So Xavier Merrill, our new campus pastor, Missouri City campus.
1: Pastor Tony, I was actually hoping you would stay and preach with me for maybe the kind of, I was about to say tag, I'll preach, you sing. Maybe you preach, i sing. Good morning, everybody. My name is Xavier Maryland. I now have the privilege of serving as the campus pastor at Missouri City. Uh, That's the first time I've said that out loud, and so it feels good. I'm excited about it. Uh, It's a good time. It really is a good time. It really is a good time. If you could join me in praying for a couple of things this morning. Number one, we're praying for our high school students. Uh, This decision was very difficult for me and my wife. We had only been here about a year, and we uh, in no way had planned on making a transition this soon. And so it's been tough. You know, we've been having conversations and stuff like that, but one thing I do know about those students is that they are very mature, and they are very ready. As a matter of fact, we took uh, many of them with us to middle school camp about two weeks ago, and we let them lead groups of Middle school students, some alongside connect group leaders and some by themselves. And we actually saw our high school students leading middle school students to Christ and having conversations with them about discipleship and mentoring them. And so they are ready. And this transition is gonna be different for them, but we truly do believe it'll be better and give them a chance to lead. So if you'll be joining us in praying with and for them, if you'll be joining us and praying with and for my wife and I of course we are expecting in the middle of this transition, and so we are excited about that. And We would appreciate your prayers. And lastly, this morning, we're going to pray. On my way to church today, uh, Christians like to blame everything on the devil. Satan was at work. Uh, I had a blowout for moms in the room, not like a pamper blowout, like a tire blowout. I don't want to cause any trauma. I know PTSD exists there. Uh, A tire blowout, and then on my way, rushing in, trying to make sure that I made it on time. My biggest fear of all time is that I oversleep for the 8 o'clock service, by the way, and that they don't have a sermon. And so I got here on time, but then I left my Bible and my uh, iPad in the car, but our facilities director, David Giles, was kind enough to send somebody from his team. They got my iPad and my Bible so that we can have a sermon this morning. And so I wanna pray for them and just all that they do for our church. And we wanna start that way. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for bringing us all here together today. God, the truth is that I know I'm not the only one who may have had some mishaps or something happen on the way to church today. And God, the truth is we're just thankful that you brought us in the room together. And so God, for those of us who are in the room here at Sugarland, and even for those of us who are in the room at Missouri City and in the room at Richmond-Rosenberg, God, thank you for the fellowship. Thank you for human beings. Thank you for community. And even for those joining at our online campus, God, thank you for bringing us and giving the technology to be able to join and worship online. God, we are are just grateful. As we prepare to dive into your word today and close this series, God, we pray uh, that you would be at the middle of it and that you would teach us something and give us something to be edified by. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody together say it. Amen. Once again, thank you so much for being here. If you're at the Richmond-Rosenberg campus, a very special welcome to you. And if you're at the Missouri City campus, a very special welcome to you. Just take a look over at Pastor Lucas. Uh, His shoes are probably nicer than everybody at church. Um, If we're here today and you've been following along with us for the past couple of weeks, we're in this series called The Land Between. And it's about how I'm not necessarily in the promised land and I'm not necessarily back in Egypt where I used to be, which means I'm not necessarily— where I want to be, but I'm not also where I used to be. But how do I master the land between those two seasons? And when we started thinking about this series, I was reminded a few years ago my wife and I, we took a road trip. We're originally from North Carolina. We took a road trip from Dallas all the way back to North Carolina. Uh, So we woke up on a Saturday and we left Saturday and we drove out through Arkansas. It was amazing. We rented. I went to Enterprise. I rented like a little Nissan Sentra. And when I got there, they didn't have one. And so they were like, hey, all we have is this BMW M3. And I was like, oh, I guess I can take it. I was really looking forward to that Nissan. Um. And so we took the BMW. It was amazing. Uh, it didn't come with any brakes, or maybe I just didn't use them. And uh, we drive out through Arkansas and into Tennessee, and we start in Memphis, and we drive all the way across Nashville, Knoxville, into North Carolina, into Asheville, and we drive all the way across the state. We're from eastern North Carolina, so we go through the plains and out towards near the beaches. We spend about two days with our family, and then that was enough. We left. No, I'm joking. We spent about two days with our family, and then we leave North Carolina, coming back down through Georgia or South Carolina carolina georgia mississippi alabama louisiana and then finally back into texas if i missed your home state in there somewhere i didn't do it on purpose i just forgot to say it the geography is hard And so uh, we come back on into Texas. The the trip in total took us about seven days, five days of driving for two days to see our family. Our family was obviously upset because they're like, I can't believe, you know, who takes a vacation to work? Who takes a vacation to spend all of this time driving? It's because they thought my vacation was to come see them. Uh, But really my vacation was to be able to spend time with my wife. And so we weren't falling in love and we weren't driving 17 hours. Because we wanted to, you know, be in North Carolina with our family. We drove 17 hours because we wanted to be in the car with each other. We wanted to enjoy the sights. We wanted to see some things that we had never seen before. We wanted to drive through Tennessee and have conversations. We wanted to reminisce about old times, sing our favorite songs from the 2000s. I normally sing the lead. She sings the background. She, she, she lifts me up like that, undergirds me as a spouse. Uh, she sees it as her personal responsibility to sing background sometimes. And she creates the dance moves, it's fun. And so, uh, we're singing songs in a car, we're reminiscing, we're planning for the future, what we want the next five, 10, 15 years to look like. We're looking back on our marriage and thinking about what it's been like, some uptimes, some downtimes. We fell in love with the journey. And our trip became much more about kind of the monotonous, mundane car ride than it did about these high points and low points along the trip. We fell in love with the journey. And family, that's what, that, that's what this series is about. It's about, I know that the Lord is taking me somewhere and I know that I'm not necessarily where I started at because I get older and I get more mature, but I don't wanna be so fixated on the destination And I don't wanna be so fixated on where I started that I don't love to, that I don't learn to enjoy and that I don't learn to master the day-to-day, the monotonous, the mundane. And so you have a a piece of paper uh, in front of you. Uh, It's it's hopefully your notes. And what I want you to do is, I want you to take that piece of paper and flip it over to the back. And there should be uh, a big space on the back, a pretty empty space. And on that empty space, I just want you to draw a horizontal straight line like this one. Now, this current point all the way to the right here this represents today. You're sitting in church, listening to a decent sermon. Hopefully you feel like it's above average. That would make me feel good. But you listen to a decent sermon so far, this is the current moment. And then all the way back here is the day that you were born. For some of you, it's a little further back than others. For some of you, a lot further back than others. It doesn't matter how far it is back. It's just the day that you were born. And I want you to draw these two points on the line. Now, after you've drawn that line, I want you to think about a highlight In your life maybe this is uh, the time you started your current job maybe it's the day you got married or the birth of your, your 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 first kid and for us that would be right here we are expecting this is a highlight of our life we're expecting it's a boy that's exciting now think about a low moment in your life maybe It's the day you started this current job. Maybe it's the day you got married, the birth of your first kid. I'm joking, obviously I'm joking. I'm joking, don't write those things, especially if they're sitting beside you. Um, Maybe you lost a close family member. Maybe you were laid off. Maybe you got a diagnosis that was tough to deal with. There are plenty of these in your life. Just think about one. For me, one of those is actually, oddly enough, A highlight was getting married right in here. That was wonderful. But then my wife and I, our first year of marriage was kind of a low light. it ended in conversations about whether or not we were gonna make it long-term. So it became a, a little bit of a low light for me. And after you write your two points down, here's what I think you'll notice. I want you to think about when it comes to your highlight and when it comes to your low light, How much space is in between there? Like if your highlight was the birth of your kid, how much space until the next like kid highlight? Like first kid, you know, taking them home, then maybe like first words and then, or first steps, then first words, and then maybe first day of school, and then maybe kindergarten, graduation and then fifth grade, or, or whatever it is. But what, what you start to realize, maybe it's marriage, and then maybe first year, not so good, second year, not so good, but then you took a three-year vacation. It's wonderful, it's a great time, you meet some new people, you move somewhere together, you both get raises, you have more money now, there's more space in there, so there's two highlights. But think about it, there, there might be a lot of highlights, a few, and there might be some lowlights, but what you'll realize is the story of most of your life and the story of most of my life is really just, The day-to-day, it's really just normal. It's really rather monotonous, almost. It's almost mundane that, yeah, I I take, I pick the kid up from the hospital and we bring him home. But then after that, it's kind of just diapers and sleep. And I'm so looking forward to this stuff, like getting peed on and um, sleep deprivation and spending more money and even more money and I I can't wait for the first day that they get old enough to ask me for money and then it's like, golly, it's already giving it to you. And what you realize is that parenting is much less and the story of your parenting is much less about the highlights and the lowlights and it's much more about and the story of your career is much less about the promotions and the layoffs and much more about day-to-day emails and responding to calls and showing the work on time and traveling in Houston traffic, unfortunately. And and, and the story of your marriage is much less less about that major time that you felt regenerated and much less about that major argument where you may have thought about leaving, but you didn't say anything. And it's much more about how do we figure this thing out day-to-day. And even your relationship with Christ, you'll realize It's the the day that I got saved is important. And and the day that I may have done that thing that made me feel like I was far away from God, that's important. But my day-to-day relationship with God is is, is rather, rather mundane. And so I want us to have a conversation for a moment and go into the scripture and talk about a guy who I feel like mastered the mundane. That, that, that his day-to-day was so solid that he didn't think that there was ever a wasted moment, that, that, that he didn't think of his life in terms of highlights and low lights, and he didn't spend his life waiting for the next big thing or anxious about the next worst thing, but he learned to be fully present, and he learned to master the day-to-day. And that guy shows up in 1 Samuel chapter number 16. 1 Samuel chapter number 16. I'll give you some background, First Samuel chapter number 16. Now, the book of Samuel is uh, about a prophet named Samuel. I know, very creative with the name there. Uh, and he's responsible for anointing the new king of Israel. See, before this, the children of God were led essentially by God himself. And they, were, they would come through the wilderness and God would send these stone tablets to Moses. That's where you get the 10 commandments. And they were essentially led directly by God. But they were like, hey, no, we look at all these other nations and we want a king. Like king seems to be the new end thing. So if we could have a king, that would be great. So Samuel... Is if you could talk to God and tell God we want a king. And Samuel's like, God, no, they're rejecting me. They don't want to be led by a prophet. And God's like, no, 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 no. They're rejecting me. They don't want to be led by me. So let's give them what they want. Kind of like when your kid begs you for something over and over and over and over and over again, you say, just do it. If you hurt yourself, don't come crying to me. It's kind of like that. And so God says, okay, we'll give them a king. So they anoint this guy named Saul. And Saul starts out great. The, The Bible says that when he was anointed, that God was with him and had his blessing on him as king. But somewhere in there, Samuel's heart got turned or Saul's heart got turned and changed and corrupted. And he started doing things that weren't like God and he was disobeying God. So the Lord says, okay, we're removing our blessing from you. And Samuel comes up to Saul and he's like, hey, the Lord is going to anoint a new king. And he's going to anoint a king that is after his own heart. And he's already chosen. The Lord already know who he wants to anoint. And of course, Saul has an issue with this. But Samuel goes to anoint this new king anyway. And the Lord tells Samuel, hey, this new king that you find, he's gonna be a child of a guy named Jesse. So go travel to where Jesse is and have all of his sons line up and I'll show you who it's gonna be. And so they get there, he gets to this guy named Jesse and Jesse has eight sons, seven older sons and one youngest son, obviously. And they're, oh, his older sons, they're these strapping young gentlemen. They're great and so they all walk out and one by one, Samuel or, yeah, Samuel's walking up to him and he's like, oh, this must be the guy. And the Lord is like, no, that's not him. And Samuel's like, okay. He's like, don't look at his appearance. I know he's strong. I know in my head, I'm, you know, I'm thinking a little bit. I know he has a six pack. I know he's great. That's not the king just because he's 6'2". And so then he goes down the line. None of them are good. And that's where we find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 11. It says, then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse says, well, there is still the youngest. They didn't even bring them. They they didn't even bring them to the... Hey, I need to meet all your sons. Okay, I'll bring you all of them. And you just left one at home? Okay, jeez. Y'all laughing because you think about the son you would leave. That's not okay, by the way. You know you'd leave one of them. Okay, anyway. Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. And Samuel says, send for him at once. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him and he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. If you have your Bible, You see, it says, verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul, which means Samuel goes back to Ramah and the next sentence is about Saul. So there's this understood in there that after being brought from the fields, dirty and having been around sheep and brought and essentially paraded in front of his brothers, and anointed with oil on his head to become the next king, whether he knew or not what he was being anointed for, the Bible doesn't tell us. But after being anointed for that, what does David do? Samuel goes back to Ramah, David goes back to the field. And he has this highlight of his life and there's this big moment. And the next thing he does is go back to the mundane and it would be really easy we see later that one of the guards uh, king saul is having these things torment him at night and one of the guards suggested they heard about this kid who plays music very well and hey we should bring him in and he can play for you and it says that every day finally brought david in and that every time david would play saul would stop being tormented and he would be able to sleep but 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 the truth is that david doesn't immediately become king He doesn't step into this next season of anointing. He doesn't have this big parade or get celebrated. He goes back into the monotonous, but we never see David complain because David sees this season of mundane as a season for cultivation. And that's what I want to look at. Here's your blank. There are five things that are cultivated by the mundane. Five things that are cultivated by the mundane. And I think that if we are willing to master these things, it will catapult us in our life. Five things that are cultivated by the mundane. Here's the first one. The first one is this, that my calling is cultivated by the mundane. Because remember, David is in between because he's been anointed and he's probably excited about whatever the anoint, anointed whatever he's being anointed for but now he still has to live day to day and for us you might be excited for the birth of a kid or you might be excited about having a kid, but now you got to do all the things that comes with raising a kid. You might be excited about your new job, but your new job comes with new work and new stressors. You might be excited about getting married, but now you have the new stressors and you have the new work of being married. There's some college students in the room. You're excited right now in this season about going to college, but right now you're just waiting. You're just in the middle because you know where you're going, but you don't know exactly what the journey is gonna look like day to day. So you're in the middle of this waiting and this is the perfect time for David because his calling is cultivated. Here's what I mean. David saw every task as being a part of his God-given mission. Every moment was a mission. Everybody say the word mission. Every moment for David was a mission. He didn't see his responsibility as tending sheep as any less than his job working for Saul as an armor bearer. He didn't see his responsibility in verse 17 or in chapter 17, we we see this. It says, Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadad, and Shimea had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. But David, the youngest son, David's three older brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth to help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. He didn't see traveling back and forth between the armies. He didn't see that as being less than. He saw it as a mission. And because of this, he did everything he did as service to the Lord and not for personal gain and not for recognition. And my question for us is, in the middle of the mundane, what would it look like for us to see every single moment as a mission from God? How would it change? If I thought that my opportunity to respond to a coworker at work through an email was really a mission from God, how might I respond different? If I saw my responsibility as a member of my neighborhood, as a mission and a calling from God, how might I treat my neighbors different? If I believed, Which is true. If I believe that the Lord hand-selected me and put me right in the middle of the family that I'm in, regardless of how dysfunctional it might be or regardless of what I might want it to be like, if I saw my responsibility to my family as a calling from God, how might I treat my family different? If I remembered that my parenting was a direct call and assignment from God and not something secondary to the rest of my life, how might I parent Differently. If I realized that my service and involvement in my local church was a calling from God, how might I serve and be involved differently? Because the mundane is a chance to cultivate calling. If I saw my resting as a direct call from God, how might I rest differently? Because some of us have problems with the mundane for different reasons. Some of us hate the mundane because it's boring and you want to keep working, you want to work, 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 you want to do everything. And some of us don't like the mundane because you don't feel like life is moving fast enough. You just want life to move faster. And so what if I saw my resting as part of my call and direct mission from God? Sharing stories around my dinner table, car rides where I get a chance to process and pray and listen to worship music, being stuck in traffic, the city that I'm in, whatever it is, what if I saw that as a calling from God? And that's what David did. He saw every moment in his life. He saw tending the sheep as a calling from God. Later, when he slays Goliath, he says, this will be for the Lord because he saw every moment as a chance to advance the kingdom. And how might we react or respond differently if every moment, not just the highlights and the lowlights, but if every moment was a chance to advance the kingdom of God? Here's a question up underneath that, we give a question that we can ask ourselves to know how we're doing in the middle of this. And here's a question, what am I currently shepherding That means, what has the Lord given you? Because this question will be different for all of us. What has the Lord given you that you have to now get your arms around to take care of? Because how you take care of and steward and shepherd, the mundane will cultivate a calling in your life to what the Lord has given you. How you take care of how you eat and exercise and your physical health is part of what you are shepherding. And we have to learn to see that stuff as a calling. My personal responsibility is to take care of my home has to become a shepherding situation. If I'm in school right now, my schoolwork, my chores, my college life, my extracurriculars, is part of what I'm trying to get my arms around and shepherd. I have to see it as a calling. And it changes my motivation, it changes my response, it changes how I interact with the world around me because I understand that the mundane is a time to cultivate a calling. The second thing that the mundane cultivates is this, is character. The mundane cultivates character. See, David was consistently referred to as a man after God's own heart. Even before Samuel knew David, he referred to him as that. Now, I know there's a Bible scholar in the room saying, hey, that doesn't necessarily line up though, because Samuel being a prophet, the Lord could have told him about David. And obviously the Lord knows about David because he created David. But what we're reminded of is remember in chapter 17, I told you that when Saul started being tormented at night and he needed somebody to play, there was a guard who stood up and said, hey, Jesse has a son and he has the heart of a warrior, and he's a man after God's own heart, and I think he's skilled and talented as a musician. You should bring him in. So there were even people around David who could speak into his character. And so how did David cultivate that? When David was anointed, he probably would have been somewhere between 10 and 15 years old, which means he hadn't yet gone off to war, which means they saw David's character in how he handled his day-to-day responsibilities. And the truth is that your life and in my life, our character will be defined by how we interact day to day not in the high moments and the low moments of our life that cultivating a sense of character happens before i step into the position before i get to the highlight if i wait for the highlight to cultivate the character i've waited too long There are people in the room right now, you want to be married. You really, really do. And you say, hey, I'm praying for the Lord. I pray that the Lord sends me a man like this. I pray that the Lord sends me a woman like this. I pray he's 6'2 or 6'3. I pray that he's tall and handsome and a 6'5. And I pray that he has all of these things. But the truth is that in the middle of that time, you haven't been cultivating the character needed to sustain a marriage. And so you have to learn to see this season of waiting as not a season of passivity. It's not a season of, I can't wait. It's a season of, Lord, you're doing something right now. And I'm cultivating a character in the middle of that. You don't wanna wait until you get promoted to find out you have an integrity issue. You wanna cultivate integrity right now. You don't wanna wait until you have kids to find out you have a patience issue. I found out the other day, I watched a two-year-old for 25 minutes. When I say watched, I wasn't babysitting. I literally just had my eyes on one for 25 minutes and I was ready to give up. The thing that's hardest for me to process as I'm about to be a parent is that kids exist after they leave me. And I'm like, what the heck does a two-year-old do all day? They don't have plans. Like they don't wake up and say, okay, I'll chill out for this part. And I, no, 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 they just do all day. And that's something the Lord is trying to cultivate in me right now. It's a character because I'm not a, okay, there we go. it's a character. Thank you. This is therapeutic for me. But the Lord likes to cultivate a character in the middle of the mundane. So right now, here's the question for us. What habits am I currently building? I'm not waiting passively. In the mundane, I'm not, I'm not waiting for the next big thing. I'm not waiting for the promotion. I'm not waiting to finish college. I'm not waiting for my oldest son to move out of the house. I'm not waiting to retire. I'm not waiting for my wife to start acting a certain way. I'm not waiting for the church to do a certain thing. I'm not waiting until I can finally move back to my hometown. I am actively participating in a cultivating of habits because the Lord is doing something in my character. Am I cultivating generosity, integrity? Am I being devoted? Or have I shown myself to be dishonest, to be passive, to be greedy? Can I speak to my college students for a second? And even for my people about to start their second or third career job and you're about to finally make the money you've been wanting? They tell you that college changes you. They tell you that money changes you. And they tell you that power changes you. And I personally believe that none of those things are true. What do they do? They give you the boldness to be who you've always been. And we find out when we get the freedom of college, the freedom of money, and the freedom of power that I didn't do the work of cultivating a character. And so I have to do that before the promotion. I have to do that before the marriage, before the degree, before the money, before the new car, before all of this stuff. I have to do that before the diagnosis. I have to do it before my spouse files for divorce. I have to do it before my kids go crazy. I have to do it before that, because in these moments, cultivation is harder. What habits am I currently building? Number three, give the rest of these to you pretty quickly. Number three, there is a competency that is cultivated in the middle of the mundane. Here's what I want us to get about David is that the best thing for a future king to see was how a current king operates. So the Lord put Davis, oh, put Davis. The Lord, new name, uh, Davis, Davis Williams. uh, The Lord put David in the palace and now David gets a chance to observe King Saul and he's cultivating a competency for what he's going to need later and the truth is that the Lord was taking David somewhere in the same way that the Lord is taking you somewhere. From the day that you are born to the day that you die, the Lord always has a plan for your life. It doesn't end after retirement, it doesn't end after the kids are gone, it doesn't end after you stop working, it doesn't end. It's to the day that you die, the Lord is taking you somewhere. And in the current season, He's always going to cultivate a competency, He's going to cultivate a skill set needed for the next season. Maybe it's a skill set needed for parenting. Maybe it's a skill set needed for a new job. Maybe it's a skill set needed for personal peace and sanity, but he's always cultivating a competency inside of you and inside of me. For me, I learned one of these lessons about two years ago. I was at my last church, huge church, twelve to 15,000 on the weekend. I was leading a student ministry. Student ministry was about 1,000 to 1,200 students every single weekend. It was crazy. I got there fresh out of college. I was leading way over my head. I was overworking and then COVID hit and in the middle of COVID, we started losing students. And by losing students, I mean, I- I'm not seeing them, so I don't know where they are. So I'm, I'm beating myself up as a pastor. And I'm like, hey, I- I'm trying to communicate and connect with people, but it's difficult. They don't-, they don't wanna talk on the phone anymore. They don't wanna be on Zoom anymore, but I'm overworking now to try to compensate. In the middle of this, my wife and I are spending way more time together than we ever have. But what she's really seeing is how much I am overworking myself and how much I am becoming unhealthy. Because while she was at home, now she gets to visibly see the stress that I carry in the middle of that I'm facing extra pressure because I took on more responsibilities because we had people walk away from ministry in the middle of it and in the middle of that I'm getting pressure from my parents who are back home because they're like hey people are dying we want you to come to the funerals but I'm like hey I don't know if I can travel and one day I'm in a meeting and I'm kind of checked out and one of the pastors says hey how are you doing and I literally erupt into tears in the middle of the meeting and I say I am failing I said, I'm failing as a husband, I'm failing as a pastor, and I'm failing as a family member, but I'm giving 80 or 90 hours a week to all of these things that I'm trying to do. And I had a pastor pull me aside that day and he hooked me up with this counselor and they sat down with me and they walked me through this season. And he said, hey, what you need to learn to develop is a set of boundaries. And I say, hey, I have boundaries, easy. I learned how to say no, I just do the things that I'm responsible for. But he said, hey, boundaries aren't just about what you do physically, it is about what you are trying to control. And there are things in your life that you are trying to control that are God's responsibility. And so your balance issue and your boundary issue is really a pride issue. And what happened was I learned a valuable lesson that saved my marriage. I learned a valuable lesson that is the only reason I am in a healthy position to be able to say yes to the next season of my life. My wife and I are going into a season of transition. We're gonna start, I'm gonna start this campus pastor position and in two months and a half, I'm gonna have a newborn baby. And that's gonna be new. But because the Lord developed the competency before the position and before it was needed. It wasn't developed when I got the promotion. It wasn't developed, I was pointing way over here. Uh, it wasn't developed when I got the promotion. It wasn't developed even in the low place. It was developed in the days and months and weeks after. There's a competency that's developed in the mundane. And here's a question. What lessons am I continually learning? Number four that's developed in the mundane is community. Think about all the people's lives who were made better because of David's service. His father's life was made better because he still tended the sheep at the house. King Saul's life was made better because he would play for him when he was tormented. His brother's life was made better because he would go back and forth bringing them food while they were at battle and at war. And I'm not even talking about his kingship. And I'm not even talking about when he finally kills Goliath, which was this giant that they had been uh, scared to fight for months. I'm not talking about those big moments. I'm talking about the people impacted by David's day-to-day life. And here's your question and my question. Where am I currently serving? Right now, If in your day-to-day life, you can go a week or two weeks or three weeks or four weeks and the only person's life who is made better is your own, you're not cultivating, I'm not cultivating a sense of community. I'm not making my family, I'm not making my church, I'm not making my neighborhood, I'm not making my job, I'm not making any of those places better because I've lived up to this self-absorbed lifestyle that's all about me, 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 me. And what the Lord wants to cultivate in the middle of the mundane is a sense of community, is a sense of collectivism, is a sense of understanding. Community in church is not necessarily just cultivated in the row. I, I would bet money, no, I wouldn't bet money, I'm a pastor. I would bet um, bragging rights that you may not know everybody sitting on your row. And that's not a bad thing, but what you have to ask yourself is, do I genuinely have a community when I'm at church, or am I just here to hear another sermon and leave? Am I cultivating community day to day? The last story I'll share with you is in that low moment when my wife and I experienced that first year, the one thing that helped us was we joined a connect group. And our connect group, we gave each other permission. I used to lead the connect group and I say, okay, here's the deal. Once a month, we're gonna tell on each other. So I want you to bring all the things your spouse does wrong to the meeting. I was gonna tell, I'm gonna tell big time. But it gave other men a chance to hold me accountable to stuff that my wife couldn't hold me accountable to. It gave other women a chance to hold my wife accountable to some stuff that I could not hold her accountable to. There are just some things, no matter how good you say them, you cannot say to your spouse. I don't know why, we just hear it differently. She said, hey, can you pick your socks up? I heard you're a horrible man. Why you attacking my manhood? Community is cultivated in the mundane. Lastly, contentment is cultivated in the mundane. And this may be the hardest one yet. I mentioned it before, David is anointed to be king when he's probably 10 or 15 years old, somewhere in there. We know that David doesn't officially take the throne until he's 30. And so you have somewhere between 15 and 20 years of waiting. And during that time, David has to be content. See, David's a lot better than me. He's a lot more spiritual than I am, a lot better relationship with the Lord than me. Because for me, it would have gone a little differently. Because uh, if I was tending the sheep and they say, hey, can you take, hey, David, can you bring us some food to the battlefield? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, Elliot. Were you the one anointed with oil a little while ago? Or was that me? How about you come get the sheep and I'll go to battle? Because right now y'all are not fighting. And if I go out there and fight, the Lord is with me. Uh, David, do you mind coming up here and playing for me? I'm a little tormented. Oh, I'm sorry, Saul. David, what are you wiping your head for? I think the oil is still there. And so (laughs) if you look a little closely, it's still glistening. And as a result, I'm not available to do anything for you until I stop glistening, I'm shining right now. And for me, that's how it would have went. But you never see David do any of those things. You only see him be content with where the Lord has placed him. He never bad mouths Saul, never talks bad about his leader. He he never talks about, oh, I just can't wait to the day that I'm king and when I'm in charge, this is never gonna happen. You You never hear him get discontented in the moments that he's waiting. You see, David cultivate a sense of contentment. And here's the question that you and I can ask when we're thinking about being content is this, what am I not appreciating? What am I not appreciating? When I look around my life, what are the things that I'm taking for granted? I know that I'm not content because I start complaining. When I look at other people's job and I'm like, man, they get paid twice as much as I do to do half the work. It's proof that I've become discontented. I'm not saying I don't have goals, I don't observe reality, but I also have to balance uh, goals and reality with trusting God in the middle of the process. I'm not content when I'm comparing my relationship or lack of relationship with everybody else's. I'm not content when I compare my kids to other people's kids. I'm not content when I compare my church to other people's church. I'm not content when I compare my family to other people's family. And contentment is cultivated, amen, in the mundane. Contentment is cultivated in the mundane. When I learn to see everyday life as cultivation from God, I learn to find the miraculous in the middle of the mundane. And the bottom line is this maturity is realizing that the mundane is miraculous that the fact that the Lord gives us the ability to daily interact with one another is miraculous. That I don't have to wait for a physical miracle to see the manifestation of God. That I can see the manifestation of God in his handiwork and how he designed everything. In the air in the fact that right now even just pause for a moment i want you to think about how you're thinking like explain to me how you process a thought the scientific interact even the mundane is miraculous the way you breathe the way you wake up the fact that your body needs sleep all of those things are miraculous and when i get mature and when i keep going up a level not that there's levels in christianity but when i spend more time with god i realize god the miraculous is Mundane and the mundane is miraculous. Even when I think about Jesus, we see these three years of miracles and ministry from Jesus, but we hear all the time uh, the Bible tell us about how he lived a perfect life, but we don't hear much about this 30 years. And so we are to assume that the miraculous three years of ministry that he did is propped up by 30 years of normal. 30 years of maybe monotony. I want to end with this. Galatians 6, 9. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So family, here's what I need you to do. As we leave today, I don't want you to get weary in doing what is right. I don't want you to get weary of telling the truth because in due time, I don't want you to get weary in being a good neighbor because in due time, I don't want you to get weary in showing up to work on time because in due Time. I don't want you to get weary of continually forgiving someone for the same thing over and over and over again. You know why? Because in due time. I don't want you to get weary as you approach retirement and you're thinking about the end. I want you to finish strong. You know why? Because in due time. Students, I don't want you to get weary in studying spouses. I don't want you to get weary in loving your spouse. Moms, I don't want you to get weary in changing diapers because in due time. I don't want you to get weary in avoiding temptation. I don't want you to get weary in encouraging your friends. Richmond, Rosenberg, Missouri City, I don't want you to get weary in cultivating a streamed satellite experience. Why? Because in due time, you will reap the blessing. And the hard part is that the Lord has us cultivate all of these things, but He doesn't give us a timeline. He, he didn't tell David, This is the day that you become king. He said, Be faithful and see every single moment as the mission. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for the day-to-day. Thank you for the monotony. Thank you for the normal. Thank you for the mundane. God, thank you for the fact that some of us today when we leave here, we're gonna go get some food. We're gonna watch TV for half the rest of the day. God, thank you for that. God, help us to see those moments of rest those moments of family time as intentional times for you to cultivate calling, competency, and character, community, and contentment in our lives. God, thank you for this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody together say it. Amen. Come on, can we celebrate?